Disney's Episode 6, Cinderella 1950 versus Cinderella 2015. Welcome back to Disney, a podcast for Disney fans. Uh, I am back after a bit of a hiatus, uh, and I am talking about Cinderella, uh, both versions actually, both Disney versions. I'm going to be comparing the original animated version from 1950 to the live action version from 2015. Which one is going to come out on top? I teased this at the end of the last episode um, in which I talked about uh, Disney Lorcana with my brother Cody, the upcoming Disney card game that's coming out later this year in August. And I mentioned how it was going to be an interesting episode because I wasn't sure <laughs> off the top of my head which one that I prefer. And I have settled on an answer. And to be completely honest with you, it surprised me. And I think it's probably going to surprise you as well. Uh, so, but before we get into that, I, as always, have some Disney-related news for you this week. Now, sadly, this first bit of news that I'm going to share is not good news, and it is kind of old, like this happened several weeks ago, but it happened during the Disney hiatus, and I still wanted to talk about it on the podcast because I think it's something that should be talked about. So this article comes from CNN Entertainment, and the title of the article is Lance Reddick, Star of The Wire, and John Wick, Dead at 60. So he probably has been in something that was... Uh, probably not originally owned by Disney, but now is. That wouldn't surprise me. But also, he was in talks to play. In fact, I think he might have even been like officially cast. I think it was like official. Uh, he was supposed to be playing Zeus in the upcoming Percy Jackson series on Disney+. Plus. Now, I don't know how much of that was filmed, so I don't know if they're going to have to recast him or if... You know, because I've never read those books. I've only seen the, I think I've seen the first movie. Uh, and so I don't really know, like, what kind of a role Zeus plays in those books. I would imagine fairly big. But, you know, so just I'm saying that, like, I don't know if they, uh, you know, if he, like, did everything he needed to do before he passed and they're all set with him now. Or if they're going to have to recast him. But uh, that does make the news relevant to Disney. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, even though it's not Disney related, I am a huge, huge fan of the sci-fi show Fringe. Um, in fact, I do another podcast with my friend Daryl called the Fringe Podcast Rewatch. Uh, we are rewatching the show Fringe and sharing our thoughts about each episode, um, from the perspective of people who have already seen the whole series. And, uh... Lance Reddick played a main character on that show, Philip Broyles. And so, you know, he's somebody that I've been very familiar with for most of my life, to be honest, probably, uh, you know, like half of my life, because 
Even before Fringe, I knew him from Lost. He didn't have as big of a role on Lost as he did Fringe, but, you know, and he's just been in a lot of things. Uh, he's been in a lot of things I've seen, and it was definitely a devastating loss. And, uh, you know, for sure, my uh, my heart continues to be with his family in this difficult time, and I would like to have a moment of silence for Lance on the podcast. Okay, so the second piece of news that I want to share with you is much better news, uh, and uh, at least to me, because I really love this character. Uh, so Elizabeth Olsen opened up recently about uh, where she's hoping her character is going to go in the MCU from here, because, you know, I, I mean, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has been out for quite a while, so if you haven't seen it yet, then, uh, you know, I, I mean, I am going to spoil the ending here. So if you haven't seen it yet, but you do want to see it, then just fast forward 30 seconds or so, <laughs> uh, or mute me or something. But, um, you know, she does presumably die at the end of Multiverse of Madness. So she was kind of just giving some thoughts on where she's hoping the character is going to go from here on out in the MCU, because I don't think that she's dead for good. She might not even actually be dead. Uh, you know, whenever you don't see a body, that's always suspicious. <laughs> that means the character's probably coming back. So uh, the title of this article, and this comes from Variety, is Elizabeth Olsen wants Wanda Scarlet Witch to have a lot more humor and redemption whenever she returns to the MCU. And uh, Elizabeth Olsen obviously said something about this, as I already said, and so did uh, the Marvel uh, president, Kevin Feige. Uh, Elizabeth said, we can do anything with her now. I feel like we've done so much. Now we can really have fun. I feel like there's a lot more humor to be had with her. She's often the emotion of a story, and I'm curious to see what we can explore, and hopefully we can give her some redemption. And Kevin Feige says, there really is so much more to explore. We still haven't touched on many of her core storylines from the comics. Anything's possible in the multiverse. We'll have to see. So it's not really technically anything definitive. It's still kind of speculation at this point. Like they're not confirming or giving away anything. But also that's typical of Marvel. You know, like <laughs> people like Tom Holland have even gotten in trouble in the past for saying too much. So uh, yeah, it's uh, to me like... If Elizabeth Olsen is on board and she wants to come back and Kevin Feige wants her back, then it is kind of a given. And she also did mention something recently about the possibility of appearing on the Agatha Coven of Chaos show, which I am so, so, so excited about. I cannot wait for that show to come out. So if she's going to be on it, that makes me even more excited. But yeah, I completely agree. I want redemption, you know, because I love this character so much and... Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, for various reasons, really broke my heart and shattered me, and I feel like I'm going to feel a lot better about that movie if there's still a redemption arc in store for her, so definitely want to see that. And then the last bit of news that I have to share for you is also very exciting, and this is more concrete, definitive news. This is stuff that has been officially announced. Uh... And this article is from Entertainment, and the headline says, Star Wars gets three new movies, Daisy Ridley's Rey to return as Jedi Master. And this was news that was revealed during the recent Star Wars Celebration fan event. 
So I'm just going to read a little bit of this article to you. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but as always, links to these articles will be in the show notes. At Friday's massive Star Wars celebration panel, Lucasfilm unveiled plans for new Star Wars movies, including one that broke the audience's brains. Daisy Ridley's Rey will return for one of these films. Her character will come back to the big screen, now as a Jedi Master in a film set 15 years after the events of 2019's The Rise of Skywalker. It'll be set in a Jedi Academy with a powerful Jedi Master. Ridley herself made a surprise appearance for the big news on Friday. Two other Star Wars films were announced from directors The Mandalorian executive producer Dave Filoni and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny helmer James Mangold. Mangold's film will tell the story of the first Jedi to ever wield the Force, while Filoni's movie will be set in the New Republic timeline of Star Wars. Since the ill-received Rise of Skywalker, Lucasfilm has largely focused its attention on TV, releasing Disney Plus series like The Mandalorian, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Andor, and The Book of Boba Fett. There are multiple other shows in the works, including the upcoming Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, and The Acolyte. So yeah, very exciting news for Star Wars fans. I honestly have kind of a mixed reaction to it because as a Star Wars fan, there's a big part of me that's like, yeah, give it to me. More Star Wars, the better, right? Like, yeah, load me up with Star Wars. But the other side of me is like, do I want Star Wars to become like the MCU where... It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and doesn't seem to have much of a direction and doesn't have an end game and just goes on and on and on and on and on. I don't know. You know, like the rise of Skywalker, for example, was supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga, right? That was supposed to be the big finale to the Skywalker saga. And I know that it really disappointed a lot of people, but, you know, at some point, You've got to say that this is the ending and mean it because otherwise you're repeatedly crying wolf. Like this is the big finale. Just kidding. This is the big finale. Just kidding. You know, like Pirates of the Caribbean has done that so many times now, like at World's End was supposed to be the end. That was supposed to be the end of a trilogy. And then they went on to do On Stranger Tides and Dead Men Tell No Tales, neither of which were very good. (laughs) So it's like at some point, You've got to stop making movies to make money. You've got to make movies because there's a story there, because there's something to tell. And I will say that based on the synopsis that they gave about the Ray movie, it does sound like there's going to be something good there. You know, Uh, it sounds intriguing. But again, now it's kind of feeling like the rise of Skywalker was not the end of the Skywalker saga like it was supposed to be. So It's just one of those things where it's like at some point you've got to say that something is ending and mean it because stories lose their power, in my opinion, when there's no endgame in sight. So, again, like I said, as a Star Wars fan, yeah, definitely very, very excited about these announcements. But moving into Cinderella, I'm going to start by talking about the animated version from 1950. Then I'm going to talk about the live action version from 2015. So I'm going to be kind of going back and forth between the two. Uh, The original version, the animated version from 1950, was released on March 4th, 1950. And as was the case with a lot of the older classic Disney movies, there are many, many writers that are credited. (laughs) Um, So you've got William Pete, Ted Sears, 
Homer Brightman, Kenneth Anderson, Erdman Penner, Winston Hibbler, Harry Reeves, and Joe Rinaldi. And of course, it's based on the fairy tale Cinderella by Charles Perrault and directed by Williford Jackson, Hamilton Lusky. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's L-U-S-K-E and Clyde Geronimi. And then we've got our cast here. We've got Eileen Woods as Cinderella. Eleanor Audley as Lady Tremaine, and if you've been listening to the podcast regularly, then you may remember her being mentioned on the show before, because uh, nine years after this was released, she would voice Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty. Rhoda Williams as Drizella, Lucille Bliss as Anastasia, Verna Felton as Fairy Godmother, James McDonald as Jack and Gus, William Phipps as Prince Charming, the speaking voice, and then Mike Douglas as the singing voice of Prince Charming. Louis Van Rooten as the king, and Don Barkley as the doorman. And the music for this movie was done by Oliver Wallace and Paul Smith. And then the 2015 live-action version, it premiered on February 13th, 2015 at the Berlin International Film Festival, written by Chris Weitz and directed by Kenneth Branagh. And our cast here is Lily James as Cinderella, Kate Blanchett as Lady Tremaine, Sophie McShera as Drizella, Holiday Granger as Anastasia, Helena Bonham Carter as Fairy Godmother, Richard Madden as Prince Kit, Derek Jacoby as the King, Nonso Enozi as the Captain, and Stellan Skarsgård as the Grand Duke. And the music here is done by Patrick Doyle, who, uh, interestingly, also did the score for Thor, which, uh, even though it was not a Disney property when it first came out, now is, and Thor had the same director. So... I'm assuming there's some sort of kind of professional relationship between those two, similar to how like Danny Elfman does like all of Tim Burton's movies and Hans Zimmer does all of Christopher Nolan's movies. So it's probably something like that. So the basic film synopsis is really the same for both movies. So I'm just using the same one for both movies. A kind and beautiful young woman named Cinderella is forced to work as a servant for her cruel stepmother and stepsisters. Despite her harsh treatment, Cinderella remains hopeful that her dreams will come true. With the help of her fairy godmother, Cinderella attends the royal ball in a magical dress but must return home by midnight or risk losing everything. But before I tackle the actual content of these movies, I do want to share some interesting trivia with you. And there's quite a bit of it, (laughs) not only because... The animated movie is an iconic classic, but also because I'm talking about two movies here as opposed to my usual one, but I definitely am not sharing all of the trivia because there is a lot of it, a lot, but I will, as always, be linking uh, IMDb links in the show notes so that you can read all of the trivia if you would like to, Uh, but this first piece of trivia that I have to share with you is not from IMDb. This is actually from a magazine that I purchased a month or so ago. Uh, It's called Disney Celebrates 100, and it's very easy to find. Like, I don't know if it's still in stores. Probably is, but if it's not, it's very, very easy to find online at a reasonable price. Uh, You know, you can find it on eBay. You can find it on magazine retailer stores, you know, web stores. So if you're interested in purchasing it, I would definitely recommend it because it's more like a book than it is a magazine like it the whole entire thing is devoted to Disney and it's kind of like a guide to all of the major theatrical animated movies 
and gives really interesting information about each of them. It also talks about the parks, and it's just definitely a must-have for a Disney fan, so I definitely recommend picking it up. But this information about Cinderella comes from that magazine. After a string of flops during the years of World War II, Disney Animation was $4 million in debt in 1950 when a princess and her fairy godmother saved the company from bankruptcy. Cinderella was both a blockbuster, the greatest earning feature for the studio since Snow White, and a critically acclaimed masterpiece, receiving the highest praise since 1941's Dumbo, thus ushering in the dawn of the Silver Age. In 1938, Walt began working on Cinderella, about an orphaned girl tormented by her wicked stepmother and stepsisters until a glass slipper leads her to Prince Charming. But as his animation studio fell on hard times, he was forced to abandon the project and produce wartime propaganda films and commercials for the U.S. government. A decade later... When the film company revisited the story, the boss reportedly told his employees that this was their last hope. If the movie wasn't a success, they would go bankrupt. Not only did the film make it, so did its Academy Award-nominated soundtrack, popularized by Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo, the song that plays as Cinderella's fairy godmother turns a pumpkin and four mice into a stagecoach and horses to take her to the ball. With the revenue from the box office, record sales, music publishing, and merchandise— the studio bounced back, and Walt was able to finance his dream of building a family theme park. Five years later, Disneyland opened its doors in Anaheim, California, and the rest is, of course, history. So most of this was news to me. Like, I didn't know that so much rested on this movie. Like, Walt basically said to the Disney employees, like, this needs to be a success, or we're going to have to go bankrupt, and this company is basically going to die. The fact that we have the Disney parks and even arguably Disney as a company still because of Cinderella. I didn't know that, <laughs> but like, I'm just imagining him being like, you know, we're going to have to do something really special here or else we're tanked. No pressure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just um, very, very cool. I didn't know that. So the budget for the animated movie, you know, talking about that uh, that major profit that they were able to use to create a park and whatnot, the budget for the animated movie was $2.2 million and earned $182 million at the box office, making it a massive success. I mean, that is definitely, <laughs> that's a huge profit. Uh, the live action version had an estimated budget of between $84 million and $95 million, and had a box office success of $542 million, so another big, massive success. Uh, Eileen Woods beat exactly 309 girls for the part of Cinderella after some demo recordings of her singing a few of the film's songs were presented to Walt Disney. However, she had no idea that she was auditioning for the part until Disney contacted her. She initially made the recordings for a few friends who sent them to Disney without telling her. <laughs> uh, maybe not the, the coolest thing to do, but it got her the part and she's always going to be remembered for this part. So yay. <laughs> uh, when Walt Disney had the resources to return to full length animation in the late 1940s after the war, he was indecisive over whether they should release this film or Alice in Wonderland first and finally decided to have two animation crews working on each film compete with each other to see not only which one would finish first, but also which did the best job. As it turned out, Cinderella came first, being released in 1950, while Alice was not released until the following year. So 
this might be an unpopular opinion, but I actually do prefer Alice in Wonderland to Cinderella. I think it's a better movie. <laughs> uh, but I'm also like a big, big fan of the Lewis Carroll books. So, you know, it's kind of got like a special place in my heart because of that. And this next bit of trivia is really sweet. It's also kind of sad and heartbreaking, so I guess it's bittersweet. But Eileen Woods, who, as I mentioned already, played the voice of Cinderella, uh, she suffered from Alzheimer's disease later in her life. And during this time, she had no memory or recollection of ever playing Cinderella. But supposedly, nurses comforted her by playing A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. So, again... That's uh, that's kind of heartbreaking and sad, but it's also kind of sweet. Uh, it's such a beautiful song. It's, uh, to be honest, one of my favorite Disney songs, especially from the classic movies. It's beautiful. And Walt Disney has apparently been on record as having said that the transformation in this movie, when Cinderella transforms from her torn dress to the ball gown, uh, you know, that was apparently his favorite piece of animation. And Cinderella is also one of five animated Disney movies to be set in France, the others being Sleeping Beauty from 1959, The Aristocats from 1970, Beauty and the Beast from 1991, The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1996, and Ratatouille from 2007. In earlier drafts of the screenplay, the prince originally played a larger role, and he had a lot more character development. Uh... In the abandoned opening, for example, the prince was shown hunting a deer, but at the end of the sequence, it was to be revealed that the prince and the deer were actually friends in playing games, thus establishing the prince as an animal lover instead of a killer. The elements of the prince's original character development would later be incorporated into the live-action version, which uh, makes for a nice segue into talking about some interesting facts about the live-action version. Uh, so Cinderella's house in this movie has the same architecture, but obviously on a much smaller scale, as Cinderella's castle at Walt Disney World. And then many of the dresses that are seen in the ballroom dance scene are inspired by dresses from various Disney princesses. So you've got Belle from Beauty and the Beast, Tiana from The Princess and the Frog, Aurora from Sleeping Beauty, Snow White from... Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh, Mulan from Mulan, <laughs> and Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Uh, so that's really cool. And then the final dancing scene was apparently entirely improvised, and the director, Kenneth Branagh, decided to keep it in the final cut. So that's really cool. Without further ado, though, let's actually talk about these movies. Uh, so I'm going to start with, of course, the 1950 version, just kind of like going through some observations, my favorite moments, that sort of thing. The 1950 animated version um, has uh, some lyrics in the opening scene that, although I don't really think you can call it a scene, it's the opening credits, uh, that I found kind of interesting. Uh, Though you're dressed in rags, you wear an air of queenly grace. Anyone can see a throne would be your proper place. I don't know if this is the message that we should be portraying to people like uh you know i mean she doesn't need to be a queen to be happy she doesn't need to be royalty to be happy i mean does she need something better than the situation that she's in absolutely absolutely <laughs> but not necessarily a queen you know i don't really like that line and i know that a lot of people have kind of like criticized this movie for 
that being Cinderella's ultimate goal, like she wants to be royalty, but I mean, it's not necessarily, I don't necessarily read it that way, but I don't know. Given that line, maybe that is what the movie wants us to think. Maybe that is what it wants us to see in her. And if so, then I don't like that. <laughs> but I did totally forget that this opens with a female narrator because that's very rare. In fact, you know, like more recent Disney movies having a female narrator, I've read before that that was like a deliberate choice because of how rare it was in older classic Disney movies, you know, and I totally forgot that you do have a female narrator in this movie. So that's really cool because of how much of a rarity it was. And, you know, I've talked about Serena Valentino and her villains novels so many times on this podcast. I'm going to continue talking about them as they're relevant. <laughs> uh, but the eighth book in her series of villains novels is titled Cold Hearted, and it is about Lady Tremaine. And I really cannot stand Cinderella's father in that book. And he is arguably the true villain, you know, like I'm not saying that in that novel, Lady Tremaine doesn't do anything villainous, that she's not evil, that I'm not saying that at all because everything that happens in Cinderella still happens in that novel because it's a tie in to the movie. But you can kind of see where, you know, circumstances and her situation kind of morphed her into what she became and that Cinderella's father played a big role in that. I really, really, really hated him in that book. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. Uh, definitely recommend reading it. I've talked about that on the podcast before about how those books are a lot of fun. Uh, and I definitely recommend reading them. But they really should be read in release order because they are very much a series. You know, like, even though each one tells the story of a different Disney villain, there are, there's still like an overarching mythology. There's still like a, uh, you know, all of these stories take place in the same universe. There are characters that cross over. So you really do need to read them in the proper order. But uh, yeah, definitely recommend that. And Cinderella is, of course, another animal whisperer, <laughs> typical Disney princess. You know, like on this podcast, I've talked so far about Snow White. I've talked about Aurora. I'm now talking about Cinderella. And one thing that all three of them have in common is that they are able to communicate with animals just like they would humans. And uh, it's a typical Disney princess trope. In fact, Enchanted and Disenchanted kind of parody that. So, yeah. And I've already mentioned that A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes is a beautiful, beautiful song. I love this song so much. Uh, definitely one of my favorite Disney songs. And in fact, it's kind of a shame uh, that it's not in the live action version. Uh, Lily James did record a version of it that's on the soundtrack, and I believe it's in the end credits of the movie, but it's not in the movie itself because it's not a musical. And then this is one of my favorite lines from the movie, probably even my favorite, uh, just because regardless of whether you are, uh, you know, living in an abusive household with an incredibly emotionally abusive stepmother and stepsisters, I still feel like this is something we can probably all relate to. <laughs> uh, you know, Cinderella, after she sings A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, the clock chimes. 
and that's her way of knowing that it's time to get up. You know, she's got to get breakfast ready for Lucifer, the cat, and Lady Tremaine and Anastasia and Drisella and get housework done and all that stuff. And she says, oh, that clock, old killjoy. I hear you. Come on, get up, you say. Time to start another day. <laughs> and again, I feel like this is something we can all relate to because we've all had thoughts like that when our alarm clocks have gone off in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially like that's something I can really relate to because I'm not a morning person at all. I'm a night owl. And so I hate having to get up early in the morning and I'm miserable when I get up early in the morning. So yeah, totally relate to that. Uh, one thing that initially confused me is that Gus is named Octavius, like Cinderella names him Octavius, but then says, we'll call you Gus for short. And I was like, how are you getting Gus from Octavius? Like, why is that short for Octavius? <laughs> so I did a little bit of research, and the answer is that in ancient Rome, Octavius was renamed Augustus when he became Caesar. So Gus is short for Augustus, which is an alternate name for Octavius. So that's why. <laughs> but I did not understand that at first, and I, I don't know if I remembered that. Like, I don't know if I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I forgot about this. Like, I don't think I remembered that line. Like, I totally forgot that he was originally named Octavius. But anyway, Gus is, you know, he's a, he's a big mouse. <laughs> uh, and so she puts a shirt on him that she's made because she makes clothes for the mice. And it's too small on him because he's too big, you know? for the shirt. And she says, uh, well, it is a little snug, but it'll have to do. And I'm just like, why does it have to do? Like, you seem to have plenty of fabric on hand. All of those mice have clothes that you've made for them, and you seem to still have fabric on hand even after that shirt. So why can't you just make them a bigger shirt? <laughs> it's nitpicky, I know, but it's like that shirt doesn't look very comfortable on him. And it seems like she could have made him a bigger shirt. But as Cinderella is going upstairs to bring everyone their tea, she drops a shoe on the stairs, which is, of course, foreshadowing. Uh, you know, she apparently has a bad habit of dropping shoes. <laughs> uh, and then as I mentioned already, you know, we've got Eleanor Audley in this movie as Lady Tremaine, and she would go on to voice Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty. And her voice acting here is also phenomenal. You know, she's so good at playing this regal, uh, dignified villain. She's so good at that. I do think that her voice acting is even better as Maleficent, but I might also be somewhat biased when I say that because I don't really care a whole lot about Lady Tremaine as a villain. I'm just kind of indifferent, whereas Maleficent, I love her. <laughs> she's my favorite Disney character, so I'm probably somewhat biased. Uh, but, you know, we then shortly after that, we get the bubble scene where, you know, Cinderella is scrubbing the floor and uh, the soap is creating bubbles and she's singing the song, Oh, Sweet Nightingale, which the live action version, even though it's not a musical, they did kind of sort of still keep that in because there's a scene where Cinderella's like singing that to herself. So uh, that was kind of cool. But um, I really love that scene, though. It's very beautiful. It's very colorful. 
Uh, it's kind of trippy, <laughs> uh, but it's really, really wonderful animation. Just really, really great scene. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Cinderella decides that she's going to make her own dress for the ball because Lady Tremaine tells her that she can go as long as she gets all of her work done and as long as she has something suitable to wear. Now, Lady Tremaine has no intention of letting Cinderella go, right? That's a trap because she's just going to keep piling on more and more and more and more work and she knows that she's not likely going to be able to find anything suitable to wear. So she is uh, put to work doing all these menial tasks and therefore does not have time to make the dress. And so the mice do it for her. And one of the mice, a female mouse, says to Jack, leave the sewing to the women. I was like, wow, it's very 1950 of you, Disney. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, some of the materials that they use for the dress were from Anastasia and Drusella, um, things that they didn't like, like a pearl necklace and a sash and stuff like that. And they, being the spoiled brats that they are, are, you know, throwing this stuff to the floor, saying that they don't want it, it's trash. And that is, of course, foreshadowing, because... They will once again treat it as trash when they destroy it and rip it off Cinderella. Uh, so definitely a little bit of foreshadowing there. And speaking of that scene, I feel really, really sorry for Cinderella when they tear her dress up. It's very hard to watch. I feel so sorry for her because it isn't just that she can't go to a royal ball. Like, that's not the only thing at stake here. This is like confirmation to her that she is trapped. She's never going to be able to create anything better for herself. She's trapped in this household with these horrible people who abuse her, treat her like a slave. You know, I mean, just being upset that she can't go to a ball, that would be kind of superficial, right? But like I said, that's not the only thing that's at stake here. Um, she's been holding on to hope for so long that things are going to get better, right? Hence the song, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. She has these pleasant dreams of things being better and imagines that that will happen someday. And now this happens to her, and it just feels like confirmation that things are not going to change, right? She starts to lose that hope. So it's really, really sad, really, really hard to watch. She's been staying positive for so long, and she's been staying strong for so long, and people can only, you know, hold a burden on their shoulders like that for so long before they collapse. But returning again, to Serena Valentino's villains novels. And I promise I won't be bringing these up in every single episode of the podcast because they won't always be relevant. But I definitely will be bringing them up when they're relevant because I just love them so much. Uh, and also, I love villains, and those are the villains' backstories. So, yeah. But another character that I hate in her books, like I mentioned how I can't stand Cinderella's father in Cold Hearted, a character that recurs throughout the books. I mentioned before how there are characters that cross over, and one of them is the fairy godmother from Cinderella. She appears in several of the novels, and she too is absolutely a villain. Like, I cannot stand her. I cannot stand her. <laughs> uh, read those books, and I think you'll know what I'm talking about. She's just awful. 
But uh, yeah, like I said before, Walt Disney loved Cinderella's transformation scene. And yeah, it's definitely very iconic. It's iconic. It's beautiful animation, especially for a movie that was made in the late 1940s. It's very impressive. So yeah, definitely a really great scene. And then uh, when Cinderella does attend the ball and she dances with the prince, um, there's a song playing called So This Is Love. And I'm a little bit confused about what's happening here because they're not actually singing it. It's almost like they're thinking it because their lips aren't moving. They aren't singing, but the song is playing. So I don't know if that's supposed to be diegetic or not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so anyway... So This Is Love is the song that plays here. And uh, no, actually, it's not. <laughs> Literally just Matt. You do not love each other yet. <laughs> but, you know, also, if you've seen Enchanted and Disenchanted, that's how things work in a fairy tale world. Uh, but, you know, I offered possible ways to work around that when I talked about Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, right? Like how in Snow White, Serena Valentino's novel, Fairest of All, establishes that Snow White and the prince already knew each other before that first scene that they're together in in the movie. And with Sleeping Beauty, I mentioned how, well, it's a fairy tale world. They're saying that they met in a dream. Maybe they actually literally did, you know? But here, I don't really have anything. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that I can possibly offer is that Maybe they were dreaming about each other, too, since, you know, you've got the whole A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes song, but I just think that might be a stretch, and I don't think that that's what we're meant to believe. Uh, I do think that the first time they met was when they danced together at the ball and somehow instantly fell in love with each other. Like, okay, so attraction, intrigue, interest, infatuation, absolutely that can happen at first sight. Love? I don't think so. That takes a little bit of time. But this is a common trope in old fairy tales and in these classic Disney movies. Uh, and later in the movie, Lady Tremaine locks Cinderella in the attic so that, you know, when the, uh, the, the Grand Duke comes to the house to fit the slipper on Anastasia and Drusella... Cinderella will not be able to prove that she's the princess, or not the princess, but the person, the girl, the young woman that the prince danced with. And the mice, uh, Jack and Gus Gus, help Cinderella by stealing the key from Lady Tremaine's pocket and bringing it up the stairs. And there are a lot of stairs. It's not believable at all that, you know, they would be able to get the key up to her in the small amount of time that they had, especially since we see how exhausting and, you know, like difficult it is for them to bring it up step by step because they're small. So that key is very, very heavy. Uh, but somehow they do do it in time. But then Lucifer, the cat, tries to stop them by, you know, like, hiding the key, like covering the key so that they can't get to it. And we have like Cinderella has this idea to get the dog, get Bruno to go after Lucifer, you know, and we see like birds attacking Lucifer as well. And I'm just like, okay, so where were these birds when 
Jack and Gus were like physically exhausting themselves, sweating, you know, bringing this key up the stairs. Like these birds could have helped carry this key. Like they probably would have been able to get it up to her much faster because they fly. Right. So yeah, a little bit of a plot hole, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the ending is very satisfying because, uh, you know, Cinderella, Lady Tremaine causes the glass slipper to break. She trips the Grand Duke. And so the glass slipper falls out of his grasp, falls to the floor and shatters. And Lady Tremaine thinks that she's won because now there's no way to prove that Cinderella was the young woman that the prince danced with at the royal ball. Uh, but what Lady Tremaine didn't know is that Cinderella still has the other shoe, the other glass slipper. So she takes it out of her pocket and says, you know, will this work? Will this do? <laughs> and the look on Lady Tremaine's face is priceless. It's so satisfying, you know, because she thinks that she's won and she did not account for that. She didn't know that Cinderella would have the other glass slipper. And obviously she also has no idea how Cinderella got out of the attic. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the animated version. Um, moving into talking about some observations and favorite moments from the live action version, the fairy godmother played by Helena Bonham Carter, who does a phenomenal job in this role. <laughs> it might even be my favorite part of the movie, like my favorite character in this movie. Uh, she is the narrator. She's the one telling the story. Um, that is confirmed at the very end of the movie. Uh, but also if you're familiar with Helena Bonham Carter and know her voice, know what she sounds like, you can definitely tell that it's her even before that reveal at the end. Uh, but I honestly, like when I first saw this movie, I was not at all familiar with Haley Atwell. Um, well, actually, let's see, this movie came out in 2015. And by that point, I had already seen Captain America. So yeah, I was a little bit, but not to the extent that I am now, because now, of course, I've seen like, you know, I've seen her in more. I've seen her in um, Endgame. I've seen her in her uh, her uh, Agent Carter TV series. And, you know, I was just like, I cannot believe that Ella's mother is Haley Atwell. She's unrecognizable. Like, she does not look at all like Peggy Carter. So, uh, yeah. But um, Ella's saying goodbye to her. And that's one thing I want to point out is that, um, and I'll talk about this probably again when I talk about the differences between the movies. Uh it is established in this version that her name is actually Ella. It's not actually Cinderella. It's Ella. And, uh, you know, the stepsisters come up with this cruel name for her. They nickname her Cinderella because of a scene where she has, like, ashes on her face because she slept near the fireplace to keep warm. But Ella saying goodbye to her mother because her mother is dying is so sad. It's so heartbreaking. Uh her mother says, you know, I hope you can forgive me. And Cinderella or Ella, I should say, says, of course, I forgive you. Um, and it's phenomenal acting from the child actor because it's not Lily James playing her at this point because she's much younger. Uh, but I'm honestly not sure who the child actor is here. I didn't look that up, but she does a phenomenal job here. Uh, and I would say that this version gives you a lot more room to empathize with Lady Tremaine than the animated version does. I mean, like I said before, I honestly am completely indifferent about Lady Tremaine 
in the Cinderella movie. And honestly, like even after reading Serena Valentino's cold hearted novel, like I have a little bit more understanding of her, but I still don't really care about her as a character. So, uh, but in this version, in the live action version, I think she's much more complex and there is a lot more room to empathize with her in my opinion, because when Ella's father dies and, uh, you know, somebody comes and knocks at the door to tell them that he has passed, uh, he says, right in the presence of Lady Tremaine, to the end, and he's talking to Ella, he says, to the end, he spoke only of you and your mother. That's got to be hard to hear. This man didn't care at all about me. I was just a means to an end, you know, like, he didn't love me. He didn't care about me. He didn't care about my daughters. So why should I care about his? You know, like, I'm not saying she's right. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that she was well within her rights to abuse Ella. But there is a little bit more room to empathize with her because I do feel kind of bad when she hears that, you know. And then there's another scene earlier in the movie when uh, she's looking in on Ella and her father talking And her father says something to the effect of, you know, I know that your stepmother and your stepsisters can be difficult, but please try to tolerate them and, you know, uh, be kind to them. And, you know, that's like an ongoing thing throughout the movie, like an ongoing saying, because uh, before she passes away, Ella's mother makes Ella promise that she'll always have courage and be kind. And, um, you know, that's something that I think her father kind of tries to teach her as well. And... He says something to the effect of, you know, like, remember that your mother never truly left us. Like, she's always a part of this house. Like, she's, you know, her her essence is still here or something to that effect. And Lady Tremaine hears all of that because she's watching that conversation happen. So, again, and you kind of see, like, the the look of hurt on her face, you know. So, again, I think there's a little bit more room to empathize with her. Um, even much, much later in the movie, uh, she is talking to Ella about, you know, because at this point she somehow knows that Ella was the girl, the young woman dancing with the prince at the ball. And she wants to know how she did it. You know, like, did you steal the shoes? Like, how did you do it? And interestingly, I don't know if I would call this a plot hole or not, but interestingly, even though the fairy godmother used magic to disguise Ella so that Lady Tremaine and Anastasia and Drusella would not recognize her. She still figures it out and never asks her why you looked different. Like, she asks her where she got the shoes, right? She says, where did you get the glass slippers? Did you steal them? But she never says, and how come I couldn't recognize you? How come you didn't look like yourself? But anyway, uh, Lady Tremaine is uh, brilliantly, brilliantly played here. I mean, Kate Blanchett in this role is just wonderful. Another highlight of the movie for me. Uh, and there's a scene where <laughs> Drisella is singing, and she's doing it absolutely horribly. She sounds awful. And Lady Tremaine says, do shut up. <laughs> it's really funny. Like... I actually, like, had to pause the movie because of how hard I was laughing because of just the way that she says it. It's really funny. Uh, So, and then there's a scene where Ella is speaking to somebody in town, presumably a friend of hers, and 
this friend asks her, like, why do you stay there when they treat you so? And, you know, I think that this was deliberately put in there to kind of explain why the Cinderella in the animated movie is staying there, right? Because why doesn't she just run away? Why doesn't she just leave? Why doesn't she, uh, you know, just go away? <laughs> um, and Ella responds, because I made my mother and father a promise to cherish the place we were so happy. And it's like, okay, I guess I can sort of get that. But at the same time, I don't think that this is what they had in mind. Like, I think that they would be totally, totally understanding if you got out of there, girl. I mean, they didn't have this plan for you. I don't think they wanted you to be abused like this. Like, I, I think they would be understanding. <laughs> uh, but there's also another funny scene where um, Ella speaks to Lady Tremaine in French. And Anastasia says, tell me what she said, Drisella. And Drisella replies, I speak French, not Italian. And this is funny on so many levels. Like, I don't even know where to start. For starters, this takes place in France. So they should be speaking French anyway. <laughs> but also, that was French. It wasn't Italian. So... <laughs> and it, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, there's a scene in the live-action Beauty and the Beast where... Uh, Gaston and LeFou are talking about how Gaston wants Belle. And LeFou says something in French. I think it's je ne sais quoi. And Gaston says, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's like, this is France. He just said something in French. You should understand that. <laughs> but I think that that's also the joke, you know? And uh, it just makes me wonder, too, like, if you were to watch the movie in French... What language would that be in? Would it be English, you know? <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's another line that I think is kind of meant to dig at the animated movie, which, you know, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, like when I talked about Maleficent, the movie, how some recent Disney movies have kind of been like poking fun at the classic Disney movies, uh, you know, Frozen with Elsa telling Anna that you can't marry a man you just met. Uh, you know, things like that. And here, Ella says to her stepsisters, wouldn't you like to know a bit about him before you marry him? You know, talking about the prince. And yeah, um, maybe tell that to your animated counterpart. <laughs> yeah, um, and like I said, I think that's deliberate. I think that that's meant to be like a tongue-in-cheek reference to the animated movie because in the animated movie, that's exactly what Cinderella does. And once again, I feel so terribly sorry for Ella when her dress is destroyed. I just want to give her a hug. But, you know, I do really love this scene, though, because she's in emotional agony. She's in so much pain right now. And yet the fairy godmother shows up as an old crone and asks for milk. She asks to be fed, basically. And even though Ella is emotionally suffering right now, she's still very eager to help her. And so it goes to show that at this point, maybe she's lost some of her courage, but she hasn't lost her kindness. You know, she's still an incredibly kind human being. And that's really nice to see. And like I said already, I love the fairy godmother in this movie. She is so funny. Uh, I do wish that uh, she was in more of the movie, but I also understand why she's not, because... 
really her only purpose is to provide Ella with the coach and the horses and stuff like that, the dress and the glass slippers get her to the ball. And once she accomplishes that, she doesn't really have a purpose to the story anymore. So I understand why she's not in much of it, but I wish that she were because she's so funny. I love when she introduces herself as Ella's hairy dog father. <laughs> and she instantly realizes that that doesn't sound right. I mean, fairy godmother. <laughs> Such a great line. Um, and once again, her transformation is just beautiful. Like, it's such a beautiful scene. I do really, really love the cinematography of this movie. It's so colorful. Like, I had honestly forgotten how colorful this movie is. It is so visually striking, and I had honestly completely forgotten about that. Uh, it's much more colorful than I remember it being. Um, but then another really funny line is when the clock strikes midnight and Ella has to leave the ball because the spell's going to break, the spell's going to wear off. Uh, she says to Kit, I have to leave. It's hard to explain. Lizards and pumpkins and things. <laughs> and it's like, it's hard to explain, but just the, the uh, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version, lizards and pumpkins and things, right? Because that's very helpful. That's very solid. That's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I mentioned already that the cinematography is wonderful and the script is definitely also very solid. Uh, but one of the plot holes in the animated version is that everything turns back except for the glass slippers. They don't. And this movie does not explain that. Everything turns back to the way that it was, except for her glass slippers, and that's never explained. So, still possibly a bit of a plot hole, or maybe this is my theory. There isn't really a way to prove it, <laughs> uh, because I don't know of anything in the movie that really strongly supports it, but this is my potential theory. Maybe the fairy godmother deliberately made it so that the glass slippers wouldn't turn back, because she's magical, and can maybe see possible futures and knew that the glass slippers were essentially going to be, you know, the crucial element, you know, like maybe, I don't know. But anyway, uh, my favorite scene in the movie is probably the confrontation in the attic between Ella and Lady Tremaine. We really don't ever get anything like this in the animated version. Like we don't ever really see Ella confront or Cinderella I should say because like I said in the animated version it's never said that her name is actually Ella she's only ever referred to as Cinderella which uh if that is what her parents named her that's an interesting choice but <laughs> um yeah I mean Cinderella never really stands up to Lady Tremaine in the animated version never asks her why she's so cruel um there isn't really much interaction between them and that is like an ongoing thing I've noticed with these classic animated movies. Like, there isn't much interaction between the Evil Queen and Snow White. There isn't much interaction between Maleficent and Aurora. And there isn't much interaction between Lady Tremaine and Cinderella. So, But here, we do have this altercation in the attic. And this is another scene where, you know, I do feel a little bit of empathy for Lady Tremaine. Like, I think I hinted at this earlier. Because, you know, she says, let me tell you a story. 
You know, like once upon a time, there was a young woman who met the love of her life. And, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. This is not exactly what she said. But, um, you know, in a cruel twist of fate, she lost that love of her life and then remarried. And then she lost that man, too. You know, so clearly she really loved her first husband and was grieving that loss. In fact, I think the narrator even says something in the movie about, you know, how she wore her grief. Yeah, so I mean, you do, like I said, at least I do, I feel a little bit sorry for her. I mean, like I said, it doesn't justify her being abusive. It doesn't justify the way that she treats Ella. But there is a little bit more room to have empathy for her than there is the animated version, in my opinion. And I think that that's a trend that we're going to continue to see. Like next month, we're getting the live action version of The Little Mermaid. Uh, Next year, we're getting a live action version of Snow White. And I just have a feeling that they're going to present Ursula and the Evil Queen in somewhat of a more sympathetic way. So that'll be interesting to see. At least making them more complex. Making them more fleshed out, interesting characters. But then... At the very end, Ella does still try the other slipper on, and I'm not really sure why she even needs to do that. It's just a formality at that point, because my understanding is that the spell that the fairy godmother put on Ella only made it so that the stepmother and the stepsisters didn't recognize her. I think she still looked the same to Kit, so Kit should have immediately upon seeing her, known that it was her, you know, like, (laughs) and that is like, that's another common plot hole that's pointed out about the animated movie is it's like, this prince didn't remember what she looked like at all, you know, like, that's kind of wild. (laughs) But uh, it is like, that's not quite the issue. That's not quite an issue in this version. Like he does seem to instantly recognize her. He does know that it's her. But it's just a little weird, though, that she still tries to slip her on, because that's really not needed at that point. But before I kind of give my ratings of each movie and talk about which one that I like better, uh, I do want to point out some differences between the two, because there are quite a few. Like, this is not a shot-for-shot remake. Uh, For starters, and this one isn't really a big thing, I mean, most people probably didn't even notice, but... Drisella's name is technically different because in the animated version, her name is Drizella with a Z. And here it's Drisella with an S. And as I've already mentioned, Cinderella's name is actually Ella. And then Cinderella is a cruel nickname that the stepsisters come up with. And the mouse Jack is Jacqueline. I'm not sure why they changed the gender of the mouse. Especially since I feel like it would have made more sense to change Gus Gus's gender. Because in the animated movie, the mice like Jack and the rest of them come up to Cinderella and are like, you know, there's a mouse that's trapped. We need to save him. He's in a mouse trap. And it turns out to be Gus, right? And at first, for whatever reason, Cinderella thinks that he's a girl mouse because she's like, oh, well, I'll have to make him a dress or her, you know, I'll have to make her a dress. I'll have to, you know, and they're like, no, 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 no. He's a boy. He's a, he's a male, you know? And, uh, so I feel like it would have been like this cute nod to that scene. If they had switched Gus's gender, there really wasn't any reason to switch Jacqueline 
to switch Jack to Jacqueline, but whatever. It doesn't really bother me. I'm just not sure why they did it. Um, and in the live action version, Ella and the prince meet way before the ball. So they, they fix that, you know, they rectify that. Uh, they meet in the forest way before they meet at the ball. So I do like that they made that change. And in the animated version, the king is dishonest with the prince about the real motivation behind the ball. He doesn't tell him that it's so that you can find a bride. But in the live action version, he makes that very clear to him. He makes it very clear that the purpose of the ball is that you need to find a princess to marry. And in the animated version, there is kind of a ridiculous plot element, another one that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, which is that they send out the invitations to the ball the day of the ball. Like, the king sends out these invitations to the entire kingdom, inviting them to come to the ball the day of. You know, he insists on the ball being tonight. And it just seems a little bit ridiculous that they would be able to pull that together that quickly, you know? <laughs> and that people would be able to get their hands on nice dresses and stuff like that that quickly. But in this version, they make the kingdom aware of it two weeks in advance, which is much, much, much more reasonable and much more believable. <laughs> um, also, in the live-action version, there are a couple of characters who look drastically different than they do in the animated version. Uh, Lady Tremaine and the Fairy Godmother especially, because in the animated version... Lady Tremaine has like gray hair and she's usually seen in like a purplish red color. Whereas in the live action version, she has like a reddish blonde hair color and usually wears green. Like in almost every scene she's in, she has some sort of green on. She has some green hue on. So she's associated with the color green. Whereas the original Lady Tremaine in the animated movie is usually wearing like a reddish purple. And then the fairy godmother, of course, also looks completely different. And as I already mentioned, the fairy godmother also puts an enchantment on Ella so that Lady Tremaine and Anastasia and Drusella will not recognize her. And that is kind of to explain a plot hole from the animated version. Because in the animated version, Lady Tremaine does say at the ball that there's something oddly familiar about her. But it's like, you should instantly know who that is like there's no way somebody like putting a ball gown on and tying their hair up in a bun doesn't mean that you wouldn't recognize them they still have the same face <laughs> and then in the live action version the prince's father has a terminal illness from which he eventually passes that does not happen in the animated version in fact the king makes it to the end. He never dies. So that's definitely a difference. And then, as I've already mentioned, in the animated version, Lady Tremaine trips the Grand Duke, causing the glass slipper to shatter, but Cinderella produces the other one from her pocket. Whereas in the live-action version, Lady Tremaine finds the one that Ella already has and breaks it. So that doesn't happen the same way. And also, the Grand Duke in the live-action version is a bit of a side villain. Uh played really brilliantly by Stellan Skarsgård. As I think I already said, really, really phenomenal cast in this movie. Um, but he makes a deal with Lady Tremaine and uh, tries to prevent Ella from, you know, being discovered as the young woman that was at the ball because he feels that the discovery that it was actually a servant girl would be embarrassing to the kingdom. So he's a bit of a villain, in the, a side villain in the live action version. 
So now, the moment that you've probably all been waiting for, the main purpose of this podcast episode, which one do I prefer? Which one comes out on top? So I would give the animated version a solid 7 out of 10. It really is not one of my favorite Disney movies. It never has been. For some reason, it's just not one that I really connect to. Uh, I mean, it's iconic. It's a classic. I've seen it many times, but for some reason, it's just never really been one that I've loved. Uh, So solid 7 out of 10, and it has some really great moments. Uh, Although, unpopular opinion, probably a very unpopular opinion that some people would really tear me apart for, but Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time, which was a direct-to-video sequel, is way better. No comparison. It's just a much, much better movie, much more exciting storyline. The characters have much more depth to them, so I definitely prefer that movie. Uh, The live-action version is a little bit too long, in my opinion. I mean, I think it's approximately an hour and 50 minutes, something like that, like just shy of two hours. And I feel like they probably could have shaved like 10 to 15 minutes off the movie because there are some scenes that just really drag on longer than they need to. And about halfway through the movie, the pacing kind of comes to a halt. And yeah, so I think it's a little bit too long. But with that being said, as I've already mentioned, the cast is absolutely phenomenal. Everybody was casted so perfectly. The cinematography is wonderful. I love the colors. I love the color scheme. And there is also a lot more depth and more substance, as is to be expected, you know, because a lot of the older classic animated Disney movies had very one-dimensional characters. That was just the types of stories that they told. And I think it was in large part because that's how the fairy tales were, right? They're adaptations of fairy tales, and that's partly what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale, is that oftentimes the characters are one-dimensional. So I would give the live-action version a 7.5 out of 10. So if you remember what I rated the animated version, that was a 7. I'm giving this a 7.5. So that means that the live-action version beats out the animated version, just by a hair, just by a little bit. Uh, Like I said, a lot of you were probably surprised by that answer because it's probably sacrilege to some of you because it's such a classic movie. The original is such a beloved classic movie. But um, like I said, the live action version is not perfect. I don't absolutely love it. It's not one of my favorite movies of all time. But, you know, I do appreciate, like I said, the cinematography, the acting, the depth, and that does make it just by a hair Uh, come out on top. So before I sign off here, give you my contact info, all that good stuff that I usually do at the end, I do have something new this week, and that is feedback. Some of you shared your thoughts with me, and that just makes me so, so happy. Please continue to do it. Please. I would love that. Uh, So Jess wrote in to me to say, just wanted to say, I enjoyed your podcast again this week. I'm up to the third episode now. It makes great listening while I'm cleaning. (laughs) so uh yeah that's that's so great to hear I mean as somebody who really really I don't think many people do enjoy it (laughs) but as somebody who really hates cleaning you know giving you uh something to distract yourself from it uh giving you something to listen to while you're doing it that's really great to hear and also kind of a fitting message to hear this week 
uh, you know, when we're talking about Cinderella, <laughs> because I'm sure Cinderella would have appreciated something to kind of distract her from the constant menial tasks. So yeah, thank you, Jess. Uh, and then I also, I posted on social media asking listeners for their thoughts on which version of this movie you prefer. Do you prefer the animated version from 1950 or do you prefer the live action version from 2015? You know, what are some of your favorite moments? Things like that. And uh, Jess, once again, says, uh, oh gosh, I love them both for different reasons. I thought Lily James was a perfect choice for Cinderella. And then on Instagram, uh, Diz Real to Real Podcast says, the ending of the OG Disney version is the one that gets me. Few movie scenes are as satisfying. And I'm not at all surprised by that response, because like I said, I feel like that's probably how most people would feel, that the animated is better. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to repeat what I already said, but yeah, uh, just by a hair, I do prefer the live action version. And then you're also going to want to stick around uh, because there is a special treat in store. Uh, Amanda sent in a beautiful, beautiful rendition of A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. So stick around for that as well. Uh, but if you would like to submit something to the podcast, share your thoughts, uh, you know, some recommendations, maybe a movie or a show or something that you would really like me to cover. Uh, maybe you want to share which version of Cinderella you prefer, uh, or maybe you want to share some thoughts on the next movie that I'm going to be covering, which I'm going to be announcing shortly, whatever it is that you want to share. Um, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can email me at disneyshpodcast at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, which is at facebook.com slash groups slash disneyshpodcast. You can follow the Instagram page, which is disneyshpodcast. You can also follow my personal Instagram page, which is the lost passenger. And, uh, you know, I do ask that you subscribe to the podcast if you are enjoying what you're hearing so that you never miss a new episode. And uh, next up is, I actually already mentioned it, <laughs> Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time. So you might be wondering, well, why are you skipping to the third one? Why aren't you covering Cinderella 2? I will explain that in the next episode. <laughs> uh, but until next time. This has been Disney's reminding you to have courage and be kind.